I feel like I say this every week, but I'm excited. I'm excited about tonight because we're going to talk about something, and for me, I think it's fun when you hear a message that ties the Scripture as a whole together. A lot of times we, we talk about something that's in one place here or in two places there, but today we're going to talk about something that is weaved throughout the entire Scripture. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, but I'm going to read it from the Phillips translation, which is a little bit less uh, well-known than NIV and King James, but listen to what it says here. It says, for God has allowed us to know the secret plan, or the secret of His plan, and it is this. He purposes in His sovereign will that all human history be consummated in Christ, everything that existed in heaven or on earth. NIV puts it this way. It says, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment and bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is God's plan. God had a plan for us from the beginning, and He put that plan in the Bible. Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible, we, most of us know the Bible is God's Word, but what's interesting is listening to me right now, there are people on so many different spectrums. Some of you have been known all 66 books of the Bible, been able to quote them in order since like first grade when your parents or your Bible school teacher made you memorize them all. How many of you memorized the, Bible, the books of the Bible as a child? All right. Many of us. Other people didn't know there were 66 books in the Bible until right now. And I won't ask you to raise your hand. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible is God's Word. We're here to learn. I want to take just a few seconds just to, to explain it to those who aren't here. The Bible does have 66 books. It has two chunks. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. Think of it before Jesus, after Jesus. The other, we know, many of us realize it starts with Genesis, ends with Revelation. But here's another interesting thing. It's not placed in order chronologically. It's kind of like going to Netflix. You go to Netflix, there's just so many different movies to look at. If they put them in order based on when they were made, how many of you would get confused pretty fast? Instead, they're, they're in genres, action films, romantic comedies, uh, TV series, and the, the genres go on. That's how the Bible is bunched. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the, the they call it the Pentateuch. Those are the five books written by Moses. And then all the way up to Job, not including Job, those are your history books. Genesis has the history of the beginning. So when we look at the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we do see in the beginning and we see the story of how the world was made. But how many realize it wasn't written on that day? It was actually written by Moses per the inspiration of the Holy Spirit later. So we see the history books, then we have Job, and we have Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Those are poetry. And then after that, we have the, the minor and the major prophets ending in Malachi, and that finishes up the Old Testament. And so if you're saying, man, you know, where do I start reading? Do you, do you start in Genesis and just work your way through? 
I'm probably going to recommend if you've never opened the Bible that instead of starting in Genesis, you start in the New Testament with the story of Jesus. The New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got the Gospels, the story of Jesus. Then we have a history, but there's not a whole section. There's just Acts. And then you have the epistles, which are letters written by some of Jesus' disciples and Paul to the churches telling them how to apply what Jesus did for us to their lives and how that applies to them. And then the whole thing is wrapped up with Revelation. And that's what the Bible looks like. If, if, if we're talking the, the Netflix uh, analogy, the recommended for you section, if you're new to the Bible, would be start with the story of Jesus in Genesis. If you want to mix it up a little bit, one great way to mix it up is go to Proverbs, which is practical advice for life. There's 31 chapters. There are between 28 and 31 days in every month. A popular thing to do is to read one chapter per day. If it's the fifth of the month, you go to chapter five and you just listen there and it'll give you all kinds of advice about when to talk and when to be quiet and how to resolve conflict and, and different points of, of wisdom. And Read in the, the New Testament. You can go to the Old Testament and read through some of the history. When you get into the, uh, the prophets, um, it'll flow a little bit less like a story. And so it's a good idea to catch the story of Jesus and how that applies to our life and then go back and get the history. And we're going to talk a little bit about the history. How many of you remember Bible stories when you were in, when you were younger? You remember, how many of you remember flannel graphs? We still got quite a few. Flannel graphs were those fuzzy background pictures of like the, the background. And then they would have those cutouts of the fabric people and they would get stuck up on there. And there was always, you know, a Moses and, and all of these things. And they had like the, the Red Sea and it was two pieces of, of fabric and they'd put it together and then they'd part it and then Moses would walk through. And How many of you guys remember learning Bible stories with that? Some of you guys didn't have the flannel graph. You're older. It was Veggie Tales. And uh, you watch the vegetable portrayals of the Bible stories. Um, but it's interesting, when we look back at the Bible, most of us look at Scripture and we read it like we read a yearbook. When you, you get your yearbook, or when you got your yearbook, what did you do first? You opened it up and you looked for you. You're like, okay, did I make it in? You know, I played a sport. Where's the second? Did, did, did they catch me in any of action shots? And, and, you know, I was in this club or that club. Or, and if you couldn't find yourself in any of the random pictures, at least you could go to your class list and find yourself there. And there's nothing wrong with looking for ourselves in Scripture. And we've talked about that before. But oftentimes... Uh, it's not wrong, but it's also not complete. So when we were younger and they would tell us the story of David and Goliath, what did they say? Well, this story teaches us that God can use anyone. And don't worry if you're small. David was small. He went up against a big, big giant, but with God's help, he vanquished the giant, right? True. Yes. But... That wasn't the point of the story. 
God had a plan. And when we look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how many remember that one? The fiery furnace. If you were a VeggieTales fan, it was Rack Shack and Benny. And, and they, they went through and show, told the story of how God saved these people who were unwilling to bow down to the king and how they were faithful to God and so God was faithful to them and they were thrown into the fiery furnace but they didn't even burn and God showed up in the fiery furnace and saved them. As kids, we looked at that story and what did we learn? We learned about how it applied to us. And how if you're faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. Don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe in. So forth and so on. But God had a plan. The Bible says he has a complete plan. When we look back at at the book or the entire Bible, I've heard it said that Genesis 1 through 12 verse 3 was the introduction. Everything else was the body, and Revelation, which is the prophetic book that talks about the end of time, things that still haven't even come to pass yet, is the conclusion. And they say, why did you switch at Genesis 12, 3? What happened there? That was the Tower of Babel. If you recall, when God created the world, they began to multiply And there was one nation. That's it. And the Bible tells us that they stopped listening to God. And they started trying to do things on their own. And God changed the way that he would work with people at that point. They were united. Spoke one language. And this is when he split the world into people groups and he gave them different languages and then they separated and he committed to reaching the entire world and we see that he went forward and he picked Abraham now if any of you guys are anything like me when I was a kid reading through the Bible I remember thinking man somehow I missed it because I'm not Jewish If only I was an Israelite, because they seem to be like the main stars. And I was learning my my Bible from Sunday school, where we went through looking for ourselves. But I want to, to go back through some of what we read and see it a little bit differently. Because at this point, God came to Abraham, and this is what he said in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 in in Genesis. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So when God spoke to Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, he didn't say, I've chosen you and your people to bless and that's it. 
He actually said, I am going to reach everyone, and I'm going to use you to do it. The entire Bible, and even those Bible stories that we read and knew before, I want to show you how there was another purpose right there in Scripture. Let's go to Joshua. Do you remember the story of Joshua and how they went across the the Jordan River and the Jordan opened? Let's read Joshua 4, 23 through 24. It says, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we uh, had passed. And then verse 24 says, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now, I remember the flannel graph opening and closing. I remember the stories. I remember the vegetable version. I was a little older, but I still enjoyed watching. I remember all those Bible stories. I don't remember that, that, that God said His purpose for it was missions. He says, I parted the Jordan so that... Why did He do it? He did it so that the whole world would see. You remember what the spies said, heard, excuse me, from the people in the land when they got to Israel? Forty years after they had crossed uh, the Red Sea and it had parted and it had opened and all of that had taken place, they snuck in there and they started spying out the land because it was finally time for them to go in and they asked the people about it and the people said they were all afraid. Rahab told them, the people are afraid of you because they remember the stories of what God did through you. Everybody knew about God because of what he'd done. He parted the sea so that all the peoples of the earth might know. Just like he told Abraham, he would show himself to the world through the Israelites. I remember being, I don't want to say misinformed, but underinformed when I was a kid, not realizing that God's heart had never left the entire world. Let's look again at the story of David and Goliath. We talked about that one. What was the lesson that we learned when we were kids? Well, we learned that, that God can help the underdog and that, that no giant is too big and that with God's help you can take on whatever challenge it is. But let's look and see what happened in the story. 1 Samuel 17, verse 41 through 47. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day, and I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wilds, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David and Goliath was another missionary story. David understood that God was using 
Israel and about to use him to show himself to the whole world. How many of you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? I remember this one too. What did we learn back in the day? Well, we learned that if we put our trust in God, even the impossible is possible. We learned that God protects those who are faithful to Him. We learned that we need to answer to God above all and before the kingdoms of this world. We learned all those things. But let's go back and read the story and see if you can find that same thread that has been going through all of these. The, the, the decree has already been made. Daniel has already been thrown into the lion's den. The king, who loved Daniel, but was caught by his own words, was nervous. Daniel told him, don't worry about it. Verse 19, at the first light, of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, oh, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you or your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to Daniel to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought down and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions had overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. Did any of you guys remember that Daniel in the lion's den was a missionary story? That Daniel in the lion's den was about getting the gospel and showing who God is and what God has done to the entire world? It says his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs and signs wonders. And in the heavens and on the earth, he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I, I don't know, but I like to imagine what would it be like if the most powerful most influential governments in the entire world sent that decree out to all of their people. That's what happened. He said, hey, everybody needs to know. He sent it out, translated in every known language. All This was the biggest superpower in the world. Preaching the gospel to everyone. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I won't read the whole story, but what happened? Verse 29, after they were, came out of the, the, the furnace untouched, King Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
should be cut into pieces and their house burned in piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Again, the most powerful person on earth sends out a message and says, hey, everybody needs to know about the saving power of that God. We see the Red Sea crossing was also to let the people know. Over and over, God continued to use His people so that everyone else would know. God has always desired that the world come to a saving knowledge of Him. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 said to the disciples, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. We know that as the Great Commission. This is something that we are responsible for. Someone said that if you don't do Acts 1-8, you'll get Acts 8-1. It says this, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus told them. But we look at the church history and nobody left. Everybody stayed put. Acts 8.1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Where were they supposed to be according to what Jesus had told them earlier? Judea and Samaria. That's literally exactly where he told them to go. They didn't go. Then persecution came and they went. If we look at at church history, persecution is responsible for 90% of the spread of the gospel. Sad, but true. However, we're in a very interesting time. The gospel is, is reaching people just so fast. In the year 1430, A.D., it is calculated that one in 100 people on the planet were Christians. 1790, it was one in 50. 1940, it was one in 33. 1960, it was one in 25. 1989, it was one in 11. 1993, it was one in 10. In 2000, it was close to one out of every three people on the face of the planet professed to be a Christian. I looked up the statistics today, and I didn't find something from 2020. I found something from 2017 that said there are 7.3 billion people on the planet who profess to be Christians. That's 31, or it's, yeah, 31 percent, which is pushing one in three, just a little below. 33.333 percent would be one in three. The gospel is being spread throughout the world. We all have a call. We all have a role to play in what that is. Good news is, if you're a part of Resurrection Life Church, we're all doing it. We've been doing it for a while. I went to our missions department today and I said, hey, can you, what can you tell me about missions right now at Res Life? And they said, well, we support over 65 different missionaries or missions organizations around the world as well as here, outside of ourselves, organizations not including Res Life Church. 
There are 16 of them we've been supporting over 20 years. We, this year, have given $948,292 to missions as of this afternoon. We're almost to a million, guys, for just this year alone. Our giving during COVID to missions went up. We've gone up. We have, just to highlight a few, we have one missionary couple, Jim and Brend Apur. They've planted over 300 churches in Eastern Europe. We heard from a Brother Abraham a few weeks back during COVID. He shared with us via video. And his organization has planted 5,000 churches, eight Christian schools, three medical clinics, and one university. And we've been supporting them through, I believe, almost all of that. We are doing something. But I want you to understand, there are multiple ways that we can be a part of the Great Commission. We've been talking about what it means to be a Christian, how to live a supernatural Christian life, how to be engaged in the way that God calls. Not every one of us are goers. When we hear the word missions, we mostly think about a person who is going to cross a cultural barrier to go see that the world is reached. The goer is the person who leaves and sacrifices what they know, their comforts and security, to go out and reach someone else. Famously, Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that is the heart of the missionary who goes. But there are so many other ways that we can be involved. Not everyone here has been called to be a goer. Some of you have. Some of you watching today have that desire put in your heart by God to reach out. And you know, missionary work doesn't always involve crossing an ocean. Sometimes it's just crossing the street. Other times it's crossing the aisle or the cubicle next to you. Sometimes it involves a totally different culture. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, in, in America, we are living in an increasingly culturally diverse place where ministering to your next-door neighbor may be a cross-cultural ministry experience. Go for it. But there are also senders. There are those of us who are called to send others by giving. I want to encourage you. You can give. When you give here at Resurrection Life, you can put missions on there and we'll make sure that those funds make it straight to missionaries. But you know, keep your ears open. There are people who leave from this church and perhaps in your family circles or other Christian circles where you, who go on missions, long-term, short-term, and they need people 
who feel called to assist in financing what they're doing. When I was in college, I remember speaking, uh, I was at a Christian college, Oral Roberts University, and one of my business professors made a statement that I disagree with, so I'm going to tell you about it. He said that, oh, you know, now this is a person who's gifted in the area of business. He had started and sold so many businesses, I don't remember how many it was, and now he was teaching business to people in business school, and his opinion was that he thought all missionaries should just start a business until that business was capable of funding them, leave, and they wouldn't need to ask money of anyone, anywhere, anytime. And at first I thought, well, that would be pretty cool. But then I started to think about how God functions and how He says that we're the body and how He wants us to be a part of what else is happening. And I got to realizing, I don't think that what God pictured for the body of Christ is a bunch of self-sufficient islands running around doing ministry, but that He has called many of us to be an extension and have an extension going out into those places. When the Israelites would go in and conquer a place, they actually made it a decree that the portion of the people who stayed behind and sent them was to be the same as those who went. Because otherwise, everybody was fighting to go. They're like, well, if I only get the spoils of conquest when I go, well, who's going to stay behind and hold down the fort? And they said, no, it's of equal importance. Someone needs to stay back here, and those need to go. And when you rotate around and when you send, you will get a blessing of that, a portion of that belongs to those who send. That's a principle established in Israel all along. And I believe that that applies to us as a church. There are the senders, then there are the mobilizers, those who are called to rally others. Those others might be your kids, those gifted to speak to the movement, who've given a voice. To, to inspire others to go, to prepare. Then there are those who intercede. They're called to pray. Not just a bedtime prayer, but to pray. I wish we had time to just give a bunch of stories about prayer and how it has impacted the work of the ministry around the world. But if that tugs at your heart, I encourage you, go for it. There are, there are, there, there is a story, I just have to tell it. There was a nursing home and a Bible study that was going on in the nursing home. And the people who were doing this Bible study started teaching to the group of people in the nursing home the power of prayer, and they started bringing in a map. And once a week, they would put up the map and they would share with them, and the, the, they, they would leave, and then they'd come back the next week and they'd pull out that stuff and they would do it again. And the management of the nursing home came to them and said, we need you to know that the food consumption of our people who are going into your thing has gone up by 30%. They said, they're more energetic, they're doing better, and, and this daily thing that you have going on, they said, daily thing? What are you talking about? We only come once a week. He said, oh no, they've been meeting together every single day. They put up that map, and they were praying 
for the world, making things happen all around the world, being a part of what God had done. People had written them off as having nothing left to do, but they had seen the power of prayer and realized that they had a role to play. There are interceders. Then there are greeters. Not right now during COVID, but the statistics tell us that 84% of foreigners who study in the U.S. will never set foot in an American citizen's home. And the stories that we could tell about famous foreigners who you don't like and how much they disliked America and how they came here to study. Saddam Hussein studied here, wasn't treated well, didn't like it. Um, I'm trying to think of his name that was assassinated by SEAL Team 6. Osama bin Laden studied in the U.S., was offended in the U.S., left, waged war, terrorizing Americans all around the world for years. There are so many people who come here. 84% won't enter an American citizen's home. 95% will never enter a Christian church. There are those who are called to simply reach the world through reaching the parts of the world, the pieces of the world that have come here. Fidel Castro, another person who came, studied here, left, begrudged. And then uh, there are those who enable others to go those who work in, in ensuring laws and government exist to support. We all have roles and ways that we can play a part in God's plan of global evangelism. Listen, you always could invite people to church, but it has never been easier than it is right now. It has never been easier. Because there are so many people. Church is in everybody's pocket. All you need to do is go to the service that you just attended. Share it. Bing! You invited people. Daniel, can you tell me how many people have we had get saved online since, uh, I think you said it was April. 692 people have given their lives to Christ online through the services since the beginning of COVID. That's because of you guys. That's because you shared and, and encouraged other people to participate. You, you may not have even realized it. You shared that on your Facebook. You didn't know. Maybe they told you about it. Maybe they didn't. I just want to encourage you that when we get in line with what God is passionate about, God moves. And let me tell you, He has been, always has been, and will continue to be passionate about 
spreading the gospel and people hearing about his word. He wants to be known. Even when we think that it's about something else, God always brings in, oh, and I'll use this so that people can learn more about me. Anyway, I hope that you're excited. I hope that this helps you look a little bit different at all of the Bible stories throughout the Old Testament, realizing God is a missionary God, and you don't have to move to Africa to complete the, the Great Commission. You can do it from your pocket, right from home. You can do something. If you're watching us online right now, share. Get out there. Think about it. Pray about it. Consider, what would God have you do? Are you a sender? Are you a goer? Are you a mobilizer? Are you a greeter? You know, I've gotten to the point, when I run into an international person, I say, hey, where are you from? Oh, welcome. I remember telling a fellow from someplace in the Middle East, I don't remember where it was, but I asked him, you know, oh, where are you from? It was obvious he was from somewhere. And he says, oh, I'm from, and he listed one of the countries in the Middle East. And I said, well, it had been a few years that he'd been here. I said, well, I know you've been here a while, but I just want to tell you welcome. He started crying. He says, nobody has ever said that to me. And I think it was like seven years he had been in the U.S. Just, just listen. Just be open to the Holy Spirit. See what he says. He wants to use you. And I double-dog dare you to pray and ask for opportunities because they will come. They will come. And we've talked about that before. I'm going to close. If you're here and you know that you have a relationship with, with Jesus, you know your sins are forgiven, I want to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm so happy for you. The Bible says know that you have salvation. If you hope that you're right with God, but you don't know for sure, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus died on the cross and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be forgiven of the sin that separates you from God. It means that when you die, there's nothing separating you anymore from God's presence and you spend eternity in heaven with Him. If you want to know that, I want to encourage you to pray with me. Those of you who are at home, I want to encourage you, pray with me. If you say these words and believe them with your heart, the Bible says your sins are forgiven and you'll be right with God. Let's pray. Dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I accept your forgiveness and I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have life, eternal life with you. I make you the Lord of my life. I repent of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.